In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Christ is in our midst. Thank you. Today in the Holy Orthodox Church, beloved in Christ, we're standing on the brink of the Nativity Fast. For those of you who who don't know yet or are still learning, in the church we we tend to have a season of preparation before we celebrate a major holiday or major feast in the church. And in, in the case of preparation for Nativity, December 25th, when Christ was born, we, we liken ourselves to that cave or that place or that stable where Christ is to be born continuously. And one of the ways that we prepare that cave is by making room in there. <laughs> and we're a people who are, I think, by and large defined by our excesses these days. And it's a time for us to come to the realization of our excesses. During a time of fasting, we don't deprive ourselves altogether of every kind of food, but we eat simply. We avoid eating meat and dairy products and alcohol on most days. We know that we, we need to be filled with Christ. We know that we want to become the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. But is there room for Him in there when we're constantly filling ourselves with food and with content and drink of all kinds? I was reflecting a while back on our relationship with the world and the way we approach eating has a lot to do with the way we just relate to God's creation. Is it there for me? Is it there for my consumption? Or do I receive it as a blessing? And I think that the way that the backwards way that we tend to approach our spiritual life is kind of like this. Pray as little as necessary. Eat as much as possible. Or eat or drink without thinking while counting our prayers. Eat or drink without thinking while counting our prayers. Or counting our calories to the max while counting our prayers to the minimum. What's the least I have to do? What's the most I can get away with satisfying myself? What's the least I have to do to fulfill my spiritual obligations? And during times of fasting is the time for us to really to realize that we're bound by our desire and our pursuit of pleasure and that we actually have the freedom to pursue God. We have the freedom to empty and prepare that cave where Christ can, can be born and make room for Him. So, do we have to? Do we have to fast? Do we? No, but do we need to? Absolutely. The church sets forth a therapy for us every time that we have these fasting days, which are many days of the year, so that we can freely, we choose to do it, freely learn to say no to ourselves so that we can say yes to God. And when we do it freely, when we make it voluntary, then something very beautiful happens. When you 
learn to say no to yourself and yes to God, then the ultimate outcome results. The ultimate outcome is that you become more loving. When you're not constantly seeking to satisfy your own, when you can walk past the chip aisle without looking twice, or whatever it may be, whatever it is that tempts you so simply. And maybe you take that, maybe you take that two, that two or three dollars, or maybe it's now four dollars, or ten dollars for a cup of coffee these days. I don't know how much it is. But what if you take that and set it as, I was going to get something for myself, but I'm going to set it in a, I don't know, a jar to, to give to people in need. What an experiment that would be during the 40 days of the Nativity Fast. Every time I had the inclination to buy alcohol that I don't need or to have a snack that I, I know I don't really need. I can eat at dinner. I can eat it. You have my blessing to eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner moderately. But what about all those things in between or after late at night? What if we took every little penny that we would spend on that and diverted it toward generosity? And then maybe the thought of satisfying our own desire to the thought of God. We, we hear the language in popular terminology these days of binging. I binge, I'm binging a show. I can tell you, I, I've never heard anyone say, and today's the feast of St. John Chrysostom. I have yet to hear someone come up to me and say, Man, Father, I was really binging on St. John Chrysostom this week. I'm looking forward to that. But you know what's interesting? Even the fathers of the church say, avail yourself to the teaching of the church, but not even to an excess, because you can be overwhelmed by it. Better to read a little bit and take something away from it, rather than a lot and feel blinded by the light. And in fact, I read a story from the sayings of the Desert Fathers that the, the weight of the teaching of the Scripture and the Gospel becomes so powerful to the person who is in tune with God that sometimes they can barely handle a word. You know? You, you're, not there, you're not there yet. You need to do a little more than one word at a time. Me too. But you see what I'm getting at. You don't even need to binge St. John Chrysostom, because usually binge is something short-lived, overly excessive for a short period of time, and then you're not sure what to do after that. And say, so i got to find another way to satisfy, to fill my time. Um, although if you start reading the St. John, writing the St. John Chrysostom, you won't run out of things to binge on for a long time, because we have many of his writings. But I want to talk about St. John Chrysostom a little bit today in a few of his teachings. And especially focusing on one of his, a beautiful quote from St. John on fasting. But his name is one of those names we hear a lot because most Sundays of the year we celebrate the Divine Liturgy, which is our communion service, attributed to St. John Chrysostom. He's the one who compiled it. He lived in the, the late 4th, early 5th century. I'll give you a few highlights from his life and then share a little bit of his teaching. He was the Archbishop of Constantinople, now modern-day Turkey, but he was born in Antioch about the year 347. And his 
His father died and his mother, Enthusa, is a saint of the church. Saint Enthusa. She chose, she was widowed at 20 years of age. She chose not to remarry, but devoted her efforts to the raising of her son. So he studied, St. John studied under philosophers and rhetoricians. He acquired worldly knowledge. He was a, a very good speaker and teacher, even at a young age. But he was drawn to something deeper. And so he ended up studying under the experienced instructors of the ascetic life, of the spiritual life. And when his mother died, he embraced monasticism, which he called the true philosophy. As one who studied philosophy, he, he had a longing for wisdom. And he understood that true wisdom comes from wisdom itself, from God himself. So he called monasticism the true philosophy. Soon, John and his friend Basil were being considered as candidates for the Episcopal office to be bishops. And they decided to withdraw into the wilderness to avoid this. And while St. John avoided the Episcopal rank out of humility, he, he thought his friend Basil was worthy. So he, he slipped away and kind of tricked his friend into getting caught up into being consecrated as a bishop. And Basil was really mad at him, too, for that. You're worthy, too. If I'm worthy, you're worthy. And during that time, he wrote uh, a book called um, On the Priesthood, a series of reflections on the priesthood, which is priceless, which is worth reading. He spent four years after this going into seclusion, struggling in the wilderness and living the spiritual life under the guidance of experienced spiritual guides. And for two years, he lived in a cave in complete silence. But he was obliged to return to Antioch to recover his health. And he became a priest and became a splendid preacher. And so we call him Chrysostom. That wasn't his last name, Chrysostom. Not like John Smith, John Chrysostom. No, Chrysostom means the golden mouth because, of the, because he was so known for speaking so well. It's even said that during times when he was giving homilies, which would go on sometimes for an hour and a half, in honor of St. John Chrysostom. <laughs> I broke the 30-minute the mark last month, but I... I've never done an hour and a half before. I don't plan on it. But even during those long homilies, people would routinely stand and applause. You know, we don't allow for applause in the church because we're not seeking worldly praise here. But he was so well known. People would go, and he had to correct them on this, they would go just to hear his manner of speaking. Wow. And he would say, sit down. What I said was good, but not that good. And he eventually became a bishop. He was not only known for being a great teacher, but he zealously cared for the needy, and he commanded of Christians to care for the needy. He would often say things like, if you have more than you need, then you have stolen from the poor. Wow. He believed in the unity of the church, and he said, when there was a time of schism, division among Christians in Antioch, he said, I tell you and I witness before you that to tear asunder the church means nothing less than to fall into heresy. 
The church is the house of the Heavenly Father. One body and one spirit. He had zeal in spreading the Christian faith. He loved the services of the church. Obviously we can see that because we celebrate the services that he compiled. He had services in the evening, often so that people who worked during the day could come to church at night. But also, in that he was a well-known personality during this time when Christianity was the prevalent faith of the Byzantine Empire, there was much corruption too. People claiming to be Christians or who were in positions of authority were abusing their authority and he spoke out against them often. And he spoke out against the Empress Evdoxia, saying that she was living a vain life, not caring for the needs of others. And so, as a result of this offense, he was sent into exile, after which the people showed up at the church almost rioting, crying out that they bring John back. So they did a few days later. He came back to much fanfare, And then he went right back to work, speaking out against the wrongs and the corruption of those in leadership. And he strove to encourage his spiritual children. But only after two months, a new denunciation provoked the wrath of the empress. She wanted to put a nice statue of herself out in front of the Church of Holy Wisdom, which he disagreed with. And he spoke out against it, and he was sent to exile for the last time. During that time, he wrote many letters. He was an ascetic, and he was, they chose not to kill him as a martyr because they knew that that would bring, the martyrdom brings controversy and triumph. So they sent him out in exile to die in quiet, but during that time, he continued to write letters and comfort his flock. And one day when he was out in exile, he was comforted by a vision of a martyr who said, Despair not, Brother John. Tomorrow we shall be together. And after receiving the Holy Mysteries, the hierarch fell asleep in the Lord on September 14th, 407. And his last words were, what were they? Anyone? Glory to God for all things. This man who had been Famous actually took every, every benefit that he got, got and turned it around. He was often criticized because he divested the bishop's residence of all of its gold, for example. Hey, we got that for you. Reminds me of St. John um, of Kronstadt. People would give him a new pair of shoes and he'd come back barefoot the next day. They'd be mad at him. I saw some, those shoes weren't mine. They were someone else's. I gave it to them. This is the way of the saints. But out in exile, realizing, just like Christ, who had no pillow to lay his head on, and realized that the earth as such is not his home, was able to see the transcendent providence of God and proclaim glory to God for all things. Glory to God for all things. There are so many quotes from St. John. I would love to just binge on quotes from St. John with you for the next 
20 minutes, but I think I'll focus on his teaching on fasting because we're entering into the Nativity Fast. I do have to say he was a lover of the scriptures, constantly reading the scriptures, prayerfully reflecting on the meaning of the Holy Scriptures. And he loved the liturgy, too, of course. Regarding fasting, this is what he said. Sharpen your sword and your sickle, yourself, your tools, which have been blunted by gluttony. Sharpen it by fasting. Lay hold of the pathway which leads towards heaven, rugged and narrow as it is. Lay hold of it, the path which leads to heaven, and journey on it. Journey on the path which leads to heaven always. Fasting is a medicine. Interesting, in popular culture, that's starting to come out. Intermittent fasting and things like that. It's absolutely true in many ways. Fasting is a medicine, but like all medicines, though it be very profitable to the person who knows how to use it, it frequently becomes useless and even harmful in the hands of him who is unskilled in its use. You hear that? It's not just just fasting. Remember, fasting without prayer is just a diet. Remember that saying? He says, do you fast? Then give proof of it by your works. Counter it with love. By what kinds of works? If you see a poor man, take pity on him. If you see an enemy, be reconciled with him. If you see a friend gaining honor, do not be jealous of him. If you see a beautiful countenance, pass it by. And let not only the mouth fast, but also the eye and the ear and the feel and the hands and all the members of the body. What are we fasting from? Not only from food, we're fasting from sin. That's Father Jeremiah commenting. We're fasting from sin, not just food. But food has a way of relaxing us and emboldening us. And when we're full and when we become emboldened in our excess or too relaxed to pray and then we binge on other things that we need to be fasting from. Not only the mouth, but also the eye, the senses, the ear, the hands, the members of your body. Let the hands fast by being pure from plundering, from taking advantage of other people and from avarice. Let the feet fast by ceasing from running to unlawful spectacles. Let the eyes fast, being taught never to fix themselves with strange beauties. Think about all those things that catch your attention. And he's talking here, they didn't have the internet, but they surely did have sexual and pornographic images at that time. Let the eyes fast from those things that even draw you into fantasy. Do you not eat meat? Then feed not upon lasciviousness, lewd thoughts by means of your eyes. Let the ear fast also. The fasting of the ear consists in refusing to receive evil speakings and calumnies of gossip or slander. Refusing to to even hear it. Don't meddle in other people's business. 
You've got enough to worry about, don't you? But fast from even hearing, because that's a way of participating in that gossip. Standing there too long when you should just walk away. Let the mouth fast also from disgraceful speeches and railings. For what does it profit if we abstain from fish and fowl and yet bite and devour our brothers and sisters? Don't do it. You, you, you might as well be like St. Basil the Fool for Christ in uh, Russia who went out in the middle of the square on Holy Friday and was eating a chicken leg. Don't eat a chicken leg on Holy Friday. But not eating, okay, you're not eating meat, but you're consuming one another, even in your thoughts. Wow. You know? So fasting from things at the surface level reminds us, it's a prompt to remind us that we have deeper issues that we need to fast from as well. The evil speaker eats the flesh of his brother and bites the body of his neighbor. Because of this, St. Paul utters a fearful saying in Galatians 5. He says, if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you are not consumed by one another. St. John continues, you have not fixed your teeth in his flesh, but you have fixed your slander in his soul and inflicted the wound of evil suspicion. And you've harmed in a thousand ways yourself and him worse. For should he be a wicked person, he becomes more careless when he finds a partner in his wickedness. And should he be a just person, he's tempted to arrogance and gets puffed up. Being led on by the sin of others to imagine great things concerning himself. Besides this, you have struck at the common welfare of the church herself. For all those who hear you will not only accuse the supposed sinner, but the entire Christian community. If you speak out about your brothers and sisters in Christ, be very careful. When you hear controversies of all kinds, hold them in your heart. Pray about them. And only speak when necessary. Otherwise, what are you doing? You're scandalizing people in talking about the church, which is the body of Christ. Yes, the body of Christ, but it's also a spiritual hospital. And St. John Chrysostom loved teaching about that as well. So don't be surprised when you come into contact with people who are sick here, like you and like me. Embrace the reality of our common struggle and seek to persecute the hypocrisy within yourself. St. John continues and ends his teaching on fasting by saying, And so I desire to fix three precepts in your mind so that you may accompany them during the fast. He says, Speak ill of no one. Speak ill of no one. Is anyone taking notes? I'll send it out to you. I'm taking digital notes here for you. Speak ill of no one. Hold no one as an enemy. And expel from your mouth altogether the evil, ha evil habit of swearing. 
which is a misappropriation of our God-given ability to communicate. What is speech for? Communication. Same drawing from the same word that we get communion from. Oneness. Relationship. Ultimately overcoming all obstacles and barriers that would prevent us from loving even the person who would hate me in return. What happens when you strive to love someone and they hate you in return? You're like, you become like Christ unless you lower yourself and convince yourself that I tried loving them, but that didn't work. No, love always works ultimately because love endures all things. It hopes all things. Love never fails, to quote St. Paul. And when you strive to love, beloved, in Christ as those who were fed by the uncreated and undying and unceasing love of God, not the affirmation of men, but the love of God is what feeds your love for others, then you'll never run out of juice, so to speak. And you'll never regret. And you don't have to be insecure because you can trust God even in the midst of sufferings. And you can proclaim with St. John Chrysostom. And I love these words. You probably hear me say them all the time. Glory to God for all things. I'd rather that come out of your mouth than anything else. Glory to God for all things. Well, forgive me is a pretty good one too. But glory to God for all things. So during this day and age and our struggle in which we are often defined by our excesses, our binging. Remember the words of St. Paul, do not be f- drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Of course, beloved, we want to become the very dwelling place of God, and that's the goal here, the place where Christ can be born. And I'm sure we'll use that image again and again over the course of the coming couple of months as we prepare for the Feast of the Nativity. But let not your mentality be pray as little as necessary and eat as much as possible without regretting it. Pray as much as you're able. Not comparing yourself to others. Pray freely and eat moderately. Glorifying God for everything that He's given us because every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, who is the source, who is good and is the source of all good and knows what is best for us and what is unto our salvation. Beloved in Christ, today we ask for the intercessions of our Holy Father, John Chrysostom, that lover of Christ, that lover of the gospel, that lover of fasting, that lover of the poor, lover of prayer in the services of the church. And we ask that through his prayers that we might become the dwelling place of God ourselves. 
I wish you good strength and a firm resolve as we set forth on the Nativity Fast, which begins on Tuesday. May God guide us to that place where he is to be born, and may he grant us to become that place where he is to be born, always, now, and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen.